mired in a slump and losing four of their past five games. The Seahawks' playoff chances are hanging by a thread, but is there reason for optimism after Thursday's loss to the 49ers? Pete Carroll thinks so. Rob Rang and I are going to be debating whether we agree on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope everybody enjoyed their weekend. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And a special welcome to our first-time listeners as well. Glad to have you aboard. We've got a jam-packed Monday episode coming your way. The Seahawks continue to reel. They've lost four of the last five games. And yet, as expected, Coach Pete Carroll speaking plenty of optimism heading into the final three games of the season. Is it warranted? We'll be discussing and debating, plus answering your mailbag questions and dishing out our Monday musings looking back at last Thursday's loss to the 49ers. Without further ado, let's get to it. This Monday episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Losing 21-13 to to the 49ers on Thursday night, the Seahawks have now lost four of their past five games. They're still struggling to defend the run, at least from a statistics standpoint. They only had 70 rushing yards, so they're continuing to struggle to run the ball as well. A lot of the same problems that have been plaguing them for more than a month still are rearing their ugly heads, and the Seahawks now find themselves a couple games behind the New York Giants in the playoff race. There's still only one game behind the Washington Commanders in the wild card race, but they're on the outside looking in with just three games left to play. Last week, there might have been a little bit of margin for error, but now, Rob, we really have reached the point where the Seahawks don't have any margin for error. They need to win games, or you can kiss any chances of making the playoffs goodbye. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, that's that's the position that they've kind of put themselves in is now they have to go on basically on a three-game winning streak. Now, if they are able to do so, then, of course, they're going to be one of the hottest teams, and that's exactly what Pete Carroll has always kind of preached is to, you know, can you win in the first quarter, second quarter, et cetera, et cetera. We know that he loves to finish with the flurry. At the same time, it's going to be incredibly difficult, and not the least of which is the fact that you're going to be going on the road to Arrowhead to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but also the fact that Seattle lost a, a very important player, of course, Corbin and Tyler Lockett. And to me, the injury to him really shifts what, how, what Seattle's going to be able to do offensively. Obviously, they already were struggling with the fact that they hadn't been able to run the ball at all. But now when you lose that so-called security blanket, the wide receiver position, um, then, you know, in, in Tyler Lockett, who is just it might be the best route runner in all of the NFL, certainly is among the most dependable receivers in all of the NFL in terms of you just know where he's going to be on the field. If you're the quarterback, you know he's going to catch the ball with his hands. You know he has incredible body control. Um, and you know he's going to get just what he needs to get to get to the sticks and keep the ball, uh, keep the chains moving. And that's obviously what Seattle missed here. Um, I'm excited to talk about what they're going to be able to do to try to, you know, bring back some playmaking ability to their offense. But I think that we had to start off the show, the first one that you and I have had a chance to talk uh, since Seattle lost that game to the 49ers. And, of course, again, lost Tyler Lockett. 
Yeah, Lockett's not the only injury of note either in the middle. We know Al Woods is dealing with a heel injury, but at least there's a chance that he's going to play again this season, maybe as early as this weekend against the Chiefs. That is not the case for Brian Monet, the big 340-plus pound nose tackle, tearing his ACL in the first quarter on Thursday night. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'll have more opportunity to talk about this later in the show, but I thought the Seahawks were absolutely doomed trying to stop the 49ers run game when big number 90 went down. And they managed to hold up pretty well the rest of the game with Puna Ford and Miles Adams at the nose. But looking at the rest of the season, that is a significant loss. Now, maybe not in this upcoming game against the Kansas City Chiefs, who can run the ball a little bit. It's not like they're a one-dimensional team, but they're going to lean on Patrick Mahomes, the MVP candidate that he is, and their high-powered passing game. I don't know that Brian Monet is going to be a player that plays a lot of snaps against them. But when you play the New York Jets the following week and, of course, the Rams in the final game of the season, those two teams are going to try to establish the run and they're going to look to be physical at the line of scrimmage. If you're missing that big nose tackle in the middle, especially if Al Woods can't come back, that is going to be a big injury. And you're late enough in the season. Good luck finding a free agent on the scrap heap that you can bring in that's going to be able to provide even half what Brian Monet provides to this football team as their rotational nose tackle. Again, if you get Al Woods back as they expect, maybe as early as this weekend, that mitigates things. As for Tyler Lockett, this guy has been such a durable warrior since coming into the league. He has missed two games his entire career, one for COVID last year, and then his second season he had the fractured leg that cost him the final game of the regular season. But those are the only two games he's missed. He's been as durable as any receiver in the NFL. So this is going to be uncharted waters for the Seahawks, potentially going into multiple games. They're hoping they can get him back after missing just one game. To me, that still seems like that's pretty optimistic thinking, even for Pete Carroll, but maybe he can make that quick of a turnaround, but he won't be there for Kansas City. That's a big loss. You could be without him for multiple games, maybe even the rest of the season, depending how things play out here. They might not want to rush him back if they're eliminated from the playoffs. So that's certainly a big storyline to watch for this team. They're reeling in the win-loss column, and now they're losing some key players on both sides of the ball. Injuries starting to pile up, and that's a real problem when you're trying to get back on track. And looking at the playoff odds, just based off this weekend, Robin, if Pete Carroll was talking a lot of positives, as we would expect on Friday, and there were some things that were encouraging coming out of that Thursday game that lead him to believe that they can still make a run. But the fact is, right now, things are not looking good for them in this playoff race. They have dropped to a 30% chance of making the postseason, according to our friends at 538. And that's because of a combination of things. Obviously, the big one, they lose the 49ers. They can't win the NFC West now. The 49ers clinched because of that victory. Then the Giants win, and now they're two full games ahead of the Seahawks in the loss column. The Commanders losing does help them a little bit because they're 7-6-1. They're only one game behind in the loss column. And then you've got the red-hot Detroit Lions who've improved to 7-7. Seven and seven. The Seahawks have the tiebreaker there, but certainly everything seemed to work against the Seahawks this weekend in terms of things that could maybe help them out with their playoff hopes. They're going to have to take care of their own business here and just hope that a few of these other teams – slip up in the final three weeks because if they don't it, it might not be two or three games the rest of this still might be un- if there's reason for hope though the Chiefs did look vulnerable yesterday against the Houston Texans the Jets with their quarterback situation especially if they have Zach Wilson out there in week 17 he got benched a few weeks ago Mike White still dealing with a rib injury 
maybe there's a chance the Seahawks can rattle off a few wins in a row here and be hot going into the postseason. But it's hard to look at this team right now with how things have transpired last month, losing three straight home games at that and have much optimism about them being able to get back into the postseason, even though everything is still in front of them. Yeah, it, it is hard to kind of muster up that same excitement. I mean, obviously, you know, they are in the midst of this losing streak. And again, they, they lost not only a terrific player, but truly one of the, the heartbeats of the team. Um, you know, obviously Seattle's choice for, for man of the year. Um, and a good one at, at that. So to lose a, a, you know, some of that that fire, uh, I think that is really going to be a challenge here uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and and kind of going back to that, you, that, that to me would be one of the reasons, however, that you, you do have to kind of keep up that optimism because we know the way that Pete Carroll is a motivator. You know that the Seahawks are going to come in ready to play. And as you just mentioned, and with the fact that the Chiefs struggled lot, not only this past week, but um, the week before that as well. I mean, they've been you know so up and down. They're obviously a very gifted team, but I wouldn't be surprised at all, Corbin. To me, it would be you know almost disrespectful to Andy Reid that that he would just lean on the quarterback when the Seahawks have proven as vulnerable as they have to the running game. I mean, the, the, the Chiefs have been able to run the ball effectively on teams as well. And Andy Reid, as a former offensive line coach, he is going to want to just you know exert his team's will if he can keep his quarterback from taking any unnecessary shots. I think that's something that, that his team would, would certainly love love to do as well. So there are some reasons for optimism, I think, because the Seahawks are still, I mean, basically their playoffs begin right now. It's winner, you go home kind of a mentality. But at the same time, I also think that it's pretty formidable what is uh, lying directly ahead of them in Arrowhead, especially considering how far they are going to be down at the wide receiver and, as you mentioned, run stuffing position. One final thing, actually, on that, that I want to make sure I talk about. Um, there's not going to be a lot of 330-pound defensive linemen uh, just kind of sitting around right now. If they're 330 pounds, they probably their playing weight is probably closer to 310, and and they've gotten <laughs> themselves a little bit bigger over the offseason. They're, they're still reeling for Thanksgiving, Rob. <laughs> exactly, but there but there are a couple out there. You know, I think that there if this is truly going to uh, you know if Seattle is worried about bringing out Woods back, even including for this game, because now I think you have to have that mentality of trying to win every game. I think that it does uh, give Seattle enough reason to really look through who's available in terms of uh, on the street, as well as some of the practice squads. I mean, I was just kind of taking a peek in the practice squads myself, looking for a young, big defensive tackle that might be able to take advantage of an opportunity like Seattle suddenly has in front of them. And, you know, I actually, like, I looked at Kansas City's and they got Danny Shelton, former UW guy. You know, all you got to do to get a guy off the practice squads, convince him, you know, to, to sign with you and then make him part of the active roster. Seattle might have that need. Danny Shelton is a veteran. I'm sure he'd love to stay in Kansas City and potentially go for a Super Bowl, but he's making practice squad money now, not active not active team, active roster money. So, you know, there might be somebody like that, whether it be Shelton, whether it be somebody else. I do think if Seattle is concerned about defensive tackle and nose guard, I think that they should be. Um, then, then maybe it's worth looking at different options, even as, as early as, as for this upcoming game against the Chiefs. That's a fascinating name to throw out there just because of the Pacific Northwest ties. He's played in a Super Bowl before, so might be worth kicking the tires, seeing if he's interested. But this late in the season, you know, he's got a chance maybe to get a Super Bowl ring with the Kansas City Chiefs. That might actually be a tougher decision for Danny Shelton than some people might realize. So, that might be a name to keep an eye on. There's plenty of others out there. We may have a chance later in the week to look at more of those names as the week progresses towards the week 
16 matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. Up next, we're going to get to our Monday mailbag and answer as many questions as we can from you, our valued listeners. We'll get to those here in a moment. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges, especially around the holidays. Recently, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with debilitating health issues. It has truly been a struggle for me, as well as my other loved ones, coping with it mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all, and BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself, and BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. This episode is also brought to you by LinkedIn. As you gear up for the busy holiday season, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to and for free. As a former site manager, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find top candidates in sports media. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network, over 810 million people. Add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word. You're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. They've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash NFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening from Argentina, in Montana, Indiana, wherever you're listening at, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Day podcast from the games that matter the most, the biggest sports stories go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only locked on can provide locked on sports today it's available on youtube the odyssey app and wherever you get your podcast all right rob let's get to our monday mailbag tons of questions from the 12s on twitter as well as youtube the first one is for you coming from chuck warner tweets why didn't seattle pull the trigger on a real center two years ago when they took a gadget receiver with their first pick in round two creed humphrey went to the chiefs the question is, do Pete Carroll and John Schneider just not value the center position because it has been garbage since Max Unger? Well, I think that's a pretty blunt question there, but a warranted one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the enthusiasm. I mean, that that is, uh, you know, I, I can't answer that question, unfortunately, for, uh, for Pete Carroll and John Schneider because, frankly, I agree with a lot of your sentiments there. I, I do think that center has been a position that has been – flatly you know frankly ignored a little bit um i uh, i really think that this could be a position of strength i think it needs to be a position of strength for the way that seattle wants to run the football and just acknowledging the defensive line talent that is and has been for a long time now in the nfc west division um you know especially when you had a shorter quarterback i thought center was critical um 
so I, I, I have a hard time answering that because I, I've had similar conversations with, with some of the guys in, in that, that scouting, that coaching room, um, and, uh, you know, kind of continue to be amazed and perplexed that they have not invested an earlier draft pick um, in, in just trying to develop one of these players. Because I know that they have a great deal of faith in the coaching staff that's been there and, uh, and ha- is, is there now as well. Yeah, you'd think they'd want to bring somebody in for Andy Dickerson to develop, but he did have the prior relationship with Austin Blythe. So that played a big role in them bringing him in. We'll see what the plans are after the season, whether they make the playoffs or not. Next question coming from Kenneth. Have seen rumors that Pete Carroll is possibly considering retiring, and if he decides against it, what do you think they will do to address the defense? So there's a lot of different things they could do to address the defense, whether Pete Carroll's here or not. We've talked about the defensive tackle position, adding linebackers, maybe getting another corner, getting more pass rushers. I mean, this is a defense that clearly could use several more pieces. And so they're going to have to figure that out, whether that's the draft, free agency, a combination of the two things. They're going to have to overhaul that group. Again, they've got some pieces they really like there in Tariq Woolen and Chenin Wosu, maybe Jordan Brooks in there as well. Uh, the safety position, they're going to have to figure out what they're doing there. I would think Jamal Adams is still going to be part of their plans with the contract he has. They're hoping he comes back healthy, but there's a lot of moving parts. As far as Pete Carroll retiring, I haven't heard anything on that front, but, I mean, he is past 70 years of age. If he reaches a point here at the end of the season, especially if Seattle ends up tail spinning at the end of the year, he might decide, you know what, this is the time now for me to go. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think he's enjoying it too much. I think he still thinks he can – lead this team back to the promised land and be a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender. He's early in this rebuild. I don't see it happening. But because of his age, I think you always have to open the door to the possibility that he may decide, you know what, it's time for me to walk away. And I guess we'll see what happens. I just don't anticipate we'll see that this spring. Next question here for Rob from Stephen Van Every. What are your thoughts on drafting a top corner to pair with Tariq Woolen? And of course, he made sure to add the side note in 2012, 2015. That was a pretty darn stacked DB team. Well, that might be the best DB roster that's been in the NFL in the last 30 years. I think you're going to be hard pressed to try to match that, but maybe they can add another elite corner to go with Tariq Woolen early. Well, in, in this 2023 draft class, Corbin, looks like it's a pretty good one at cornerback. So I think that that is a possibility. I, I would be surprised if that was a strategy that Seattle took, yeah. um, just because we have shown such a, a great deal of confidence. And I think justifiably, with, with Pete Carroll being able to basically find corners in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, um, you know, and, and just turn them into superstars. I think you were seeing the reincarnation of that all over again here um, with, with obviously with what Wool has done and, and to a lesser extent, um, you know, with, with uh, Kobe Bryant as well. I have been intrigued by what I've seen from Kobe Bryant, just Wool's a superstar. There, there are good corners. I just think that Seattle's biggest area of concern is along the defensive line and, is, and other outside pass rushers. And so I would be shocked if, if that's not the direction that Seattle goes with their whatever of their early picks that they use on the defensive side of the ball. Next question coming from Jim Osmer. If the Seahawks go back to a 4-3 defense, where would Uchenna Nuosu and Boye Mafe line up? So that's a really good question. If they were to go back to a more traditional 4-3 defense, and remember, Pete Carroll's 4-3 has always had 3-4 principles, and so there is going to be some carryover either way. But if they were to do that, I'm not projecting that they're going to. I think Clint Hurt's going to get another opportunity next season with a defense that adds more pieces to it. But 
if they went back to a 4-3, I actually think both these guys would be ideal at the Leo position. I think Boye Mafe would maybe be able to handle the other spot playing base end. They typically like bigger ends, though, when they're playing 4-3. Think Red Bryant. They've played Al Woods there in the past. Bigger ends, Michael Bennett, uh, more in that 265, 270-pound range. And neither one of these guys is built quite like that. But Mafe has the physicality, and so does Uchenna Nuosu, that maybe you can play them on both sides. But they naturally fit that Leo position. Pete Carroll compared Mafe to Clint Averill, uh, Cliff Averill this offseason. And so I think that they would view them as guys that they could rotate at that Leo position if they were to go back to that. Again, I'm not anticipating that's the direction they're going to go, but never say never in the NFL, especially if they end up losing their next three games and they finish the year seven and 10 after a six and three start, you start to really reevaluate what you want to do on offense and defense when you have those kind of seasons where you just fall apart when they looked like a playoff team just a little over a month ago. Next question here for Rob. We're going to go to the holidays here. This is from Chase Rydell. If the Seahawks could add a player or coach for Christmas, who would you like to see under the tree? That's, that's a really good holiday question here. And the Seahawks could use a gift here to make the playoffs. Um, you know, I, actually, okay, I got, I got one for you. Um, it, from a from a just a physical standpoint, this is going to make an awful lot of sense. And because he's a reigning world champion, you're taken away from you know one of your biggest rivals, and that makes sense as well. Um, Aaron Donald has just been such a phenomenal player for such a long time. I think that he would be one of the very first players that a lot of a lot of fans would uh, would acknowledge. Um, I had an incredible opportunity, Corbin, over the summer to go see the LA Rams in practice during training camp and got to see Aaron Donald um, just mingle with, with the fans. And he was the biggest star on the field and everybody knew it. And he stayed hours after signing autographs. It was just as classy as I've ever seen a player B. And of course, there's a lot of really classic players. Seattle has a bunch of them. But if I was to, you know, use that analogy you just gave as far as a Christmas gift for the, the, the player and the man from what I've seen, um, I think that Aaron Donald certainly would be a fitting one. I'm not so sure he might just throw the Christmas tree, but uh, not rather than be sitting there under it. But still, I think that he would be a terrific player to, to bring in uh, for lots of different reasons. The only reason I wouldn't lean that way is that he is getting to be a little older player. He's still very good, still very dominant. But I, I want the player that should have been under the Christmas tree two years ago, Creed Humphrey, and they're getting ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs. It'd be awesome if you went up to Andy Reid and said, hey, Christmas Eve, guess what? We want our present early. Give us Creed Humphrey and put him on your offensive line and have you would have three foundational players, maybe four, if you still think Damian Lewis is that guy at left guard. I think it's better rated center one of the best young centers in the NFL, one that fits your scheme, can get the job done in pass protection. And as a run blocker, you have him, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas. Your offensive line is set for the next decade. And so I would be thinking long game just as much as immediate upgrade by getting Creed Humphrey. And I know this isn't going to make some of our listeners happy because they're like, gosh, Darren, why do you keep bringing this name up? But that's going to continue to follow the Seahawks as time goes on because they chose D. Eskridge instead of a center that really could have been a game changer for their offensive line. And last but not least, real quick, sticking with the holiday questions, Marcus tweeting, favorite holiday traditions in the Smith and Rang households. Mr. Rang, what, what would be one or two traditions in the holiday season around Christmas that uh, your family enjoys? 
Uh, you know, fortune or hope, I hope, like everybody else out there, it's just a lot of, you know, family, friends, good food, good music, um, you know, and, and hopefully some gifts and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, the biggest thing is that my wife is a Christmas baby. And so because of that, all is spent basically just praising the, the wonderful and talented Mrs. Wren. Uh, and, and so it's, uh, you know, so there's a, there, there's an awful lot of tradition around just doing whatever makes Emily happy. And you know what? That sounds to me like a great way to uh, keep your marriage in good shape. That's really what it sounds like to me. Uh, for us, and we haven't gotten to do this the last couple of years because COVID has continued to throw wrenches. I'm hoping this year it returns. Our listeners that are Seinfeld fans, uh, my father is a Vietnam vet, and that's one of the few shows on TV that he actually loved. And we always did Festivus on Christmas. Nice. And it was just the airing of grievances. And we do not hold back. We let everybody in our family know exactly what we think of them. And it is hilarious. But it's been two years. I don't know if they are going to have the metal pole tree back this year. But I'm hoping. I'm going to be flying in on Saturday for Christmas Eve. I'm hoping I get in there and I see that that, that tradition has returned after a two-year hiatus. And we get a chance to tell everybody what we really think about them for the holidays. But uh, that should be a good time for everybody in the Smith household coming up this weekend coming up next we're going to shift gears back to thursday's loss to the 49ers and a little bit of an odd week since they played on thursday night we're getting our monday musings our takeaways in several days after the fact and we're a little more informed than we usually are on mondays having rewatched the game at least once so we're going to dish out our offensive defensive and special teams takeaways coming out of that loss to the 49ers coming up next year on our monday edition of the locked on seahawks podcast this episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's week 15 of the 2022 season, and I've got Aaron Rodgers throwing a trio of touchdowns against the Rams on Monday Night Football. That might not seem like a bold lead, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Just pick two to five players. If they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections in any sport that you watch whether it's college football, NASCAR, MMA, boxing, even disc golf. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Go download the Prize Picks app today or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you. $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad as always to be joined by my friend and co host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, regardless of where you're listening in from. Thanks for listening to Locked On Seahawks five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, the take of the day, and much more. It's available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's a unique edition of Monday Musings. Usually this is the day after the game. We don't get that luxury this week. I guess it's a, it's a good thing. We get extra days to watch the film, and so we're going to have a better chance to really dive into the takeaways from Thursday's loss. The Seahawks, unfortunately, unable to get the win over the 49ers. They've lost four of their last five. The sky seems to be falling in the Pacific Northwest. Rob, I'm going to dish it to you first. Let's talk takeaways on the offensive side of the football. This is another game against the 49ers' vaunted defense where 
They just weren't able to get too much going. And yet it did feel like it was one of those games where one play completely changed everything for the offense at the end of the first half. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, the, you know, it was a it was a good catch by Travis Homer getting upfield, and unfortunately, just a heck of a hit by Dre Greenlaw pops the ball out, and and that very much changed the game. Um, you know, you hate to you hate to bring it back to to one or two plays like that, um, especially because I know San Francisco just flat dominated Seattle in so many different ways in that football game. But at the end of the day, it was still, you know, one score game at the very end. And Seattle had an opportunity. So I think that it is easy to just to kind of focus in on that Travis Homer fumble. Unfortunately, the Quandre Diggs drop. Uh, unfortunately, as well as being the two plays that basically just uh, completely destroyed any chance that Seattle had of, of winning this football game. Um, you know, I, as you mentioned, Corbin, we, we have had a little bit more time um, just to kind of soak this one in to, to watch some other snaps, um, you know, and to really watch a second or third time. And so that's one of the things I did is I focused really along the offensive and defensive lines and to see who did better than I thought, who, you know, who struggled. Um, and while, you know, I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there considering where the Seattle season may be going right now, that they get kind of down in the dumps or whatever. The, the talent evaluator in me, the competitor in me gets a little bit pissed and it's like, all right, all right, let's see who's actually going to compete these last couple of weeks if things start to fall apart and who wants a job for next year, yep. um, you know, and, and so that to me is what I've been very much kind of, you know, I, I made a face when you were first describing this, when you said that we had extra time to record, to, to watch, I made a face because it's like, ugh. I got to watch more of this, the bright green, the whole thing. I mean, that's, that's why I'm wearing a hat is because I needed some shade. Oh, come on, come on. It's not the bright green. <laughs> but at the, at the same time, uh, I do feel pretty strongly about some of the players who struggled, some of the players who actually I thought performed a little bit better than maybe uh, some might be thinking based on how Seattle, the, the final outcome of Seattle's game. Yeah, I'm going to start off. This take is going to come across as maybe being a little bit more positive than what some may anticipate. And at the same time, there's going to be realism. I thought the run game did take some baby steps forward in this football game. And I, I want our listeners to consider who the Seahawks just played. The 49ers had not given up 70 rushing yards in a game since they lost to the Chiefs in week seven. It had been almost two and a half months since they gave up 70 rushing yards in the game. The Seahawks managed to get to 70. Now that was somewhat inflated by Geno Smith's 18-yard scramble. We've seen that a few other games where Geno Smith's legs have ended up making the numbers look more inflated than they actually were. But you could see the difference with Ken Walker the third out there, just the explosiveness, the burst, the playmaking ability that he brings to the table. And maybe what I'm most frustrated about, this is just me as a running back coach and a former running back. I don't understand why it seems like the Seahawks have suddenly moved away from their under center run game. They only had a handful of snaps in this game where Geno Smith lined up under center and they handed the football off. It takes away your under center play action game, at least some of the effectiveness of it. I know some of the analytics people out there would disagree with that, but it does. As a defender, it takes away, it makes it easier for you. And they're just running almost every time out of shotgun. And I'm just not a fan of that. It's not that you can't do it, but where are the under center runs? And when they did do that in this game, it seemed like they were able to get a little bit of movement. They were able to get a few decent three, four, five yard runs. And then they wouldn't run the ball for a couple of plays. They just aren't sticking with it enough. And some of it's they're having enough negative plays sprinkled in. It's making it impossible for them to stick with it because they're behind the sticks. 
that has been a problem for more than a month for this offense. But I thought there were positives. You could see the offensive line, uh, unfortunately, away from the center position. I didn't think Austin Blythe played well at all in the run game, and it's been a struggle for him. But I thought the tackles held up okay in that regard. Pass protection, that was a little different story. But the run blocking, I thought, was okay in this football game. But when you're not getting more than 14 carries in a game, it's really hard to get a rhythm going, and this has been a problem on and on and on. So while there were some flashes of brilliance by Ken Walker III, you saw some signs that maybe the run game is going to start getting back on track. At the end of the day, you still only ran for 70 yards. The consistency is not there. The number of carries is not there. And you know that Pete Carroll is irked by that. So this is one of those that was a little better, but it's still not anywhere where it needs to be at, especially when you want to beat a team like the 49ers. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I, I think that Seattle basically was, you know, kind of calling the game a little bit scared, and I think that they should be. Nick Bosa is just that darn good. Eric Armstead was absolutely fantastic as well. Um, you know, there was there was a couple of plays sequence that I thought was really telling. Um, Seattle got pretty cute, did a little uh, move their their tight ends. Uh, it was uh, Disley and Parkinson moved him inside right next to Charles Cross to try to slow down Joey Bosa. Um, so they had three players right next to Joey Bosa. Um, the, the two tight ends just went into a in, into a route and it basically ended up being Cross and Bosa one on one and Cross handled them that particular play and Seattle got a nice uh, re reception the other side um, to to Goodwin actually. Um, the next play. San Francisco completely shifted all their defensive linemen to the right side. There was three guys all the way on the right side, and then they both on the other side. And it just created so much confusion. It was basically like San Francisco was telling Seattle, just in the way that they lined up their players, that our four guys can beat your five guys all day long. If you want to try and get cute, then we'll do the same thing. And so it was a chess match that I appreciated because of the schematics Seattle was trying to eliminate what San Francisco has, and that is just the the, the basically the soon-to-be defensive player of the year in Nick Bosa and a terrific defense all around him. And they basically just kind of forced Seattle to try every now and then to run just to keep the, the crowd from booing. But otherwise, you're basically asking Geno Smith to, to just do miracles work, and he wasn't able to do it. Um, you know, and so that's why the, the game wound up being literally about one play away from the exact score that I thought it might be, um, you know, just because of the fact that, that San Francisco did double Seattle's rushing yards. And they basically played the game that I think that we all feared from a Seattle perspective would actually happen. I will say this. This game did not necessarily play out the way that I thought it was going to on the defensive side of the football. And maybe I'm wrong saying this. I, I actually felt fairly decent about where this defense was at coming out of this football game. When you consider, we just talked about it earlier, Brian Lene tears his ACL in the first quarter. You're without Al Woods. You don't have your two nose tackles in the middle. They've already been struggling to stop run games in the last month. And yeah, I know they gave up 170 rushing yards to this game. There was that 54-yard run by Jordan Mason at the end of the game that made it look like the run defense really struggled. But up to that point, they had held Christian McCaffrey under four yards per carry. They had forced several three and outs. They had forced six punts up to that point. I mean, the Seahawks defense, for all the issues that they had, there were communication breakdowns on one of the George Kittle touchdowns. They had some issues with their run fits and a McCaffrey run early in the game. But otherwise, I mean – this was a pretty darn good game from the defense in terms of points and yardage. They got, I mean, one of the touchdowns they gave up because it was after the Homer fumble and they had six yards behind them. They were put in an impossible situation. 
I thought the run defense was much better. And that is a credit to Miles Adams, who I thought was one of the most impressive players in the field for the Seahawks in this game. He played some snaps in the nose position at 300 pounds, and his quickness was actually giving the 49ers some issues. He was making plays from three-tech position as well, had a tackle for loss, a pass breakup at the line, only played 17 snaps, but when he was on the field, he was doing a lot of damage. He was very disruptive. I thought Puna Ford looked okay playing the nose position, which he has played some earlier in his career, and maybe that's a better fit than we realized for him in this defense because he is short and a little bit stocky, and he has that really quick first step. So I thought they were able to weather that storm. Tanner Muse, I thought, played really well when he checked in for Jordan Brooks at the end of the game. I mean, this was a game about some unsung heroes stepping up when they got put in the lineup because of injuries. And so I think from that perspective, you can understand why Pete Carroll was a little bit more optimistic coming out of this game because they were getting those contributions and there were some clear improvements on defense. The problem is still, though, you gave up three or four big explosive plays and that really did you in in a game where you didn't have much margin for error because your offense wasn't going to be putting up a ton of points. No, again, like we talked about, I mean, the running game gave you two first downs all, all game long. Um, yep. You know, so you, you weren't gonna, you weren't going to be able to keep the ball that much. But I, I love that you mentioned Miles Adams and Tanner Muse. I thought that you know two young players who who played well and uh, getting their opportunities. I love to see John Radigan back out there. Made a couple of big plays on special teams. Yep. Uh, one really nice tackle and, and looked spry out there. So that was encouraging. Um, and then kind of go back to offense for a second. Um, well, again, it's a huge loss with Tyler Lockett. Very intrigued by what I saw, I saw from Derek Young. Um, the, the body control, the, the being able to get his feet down for that, that catch down there by the end zone. I mean, that, that was spectacular play. Um, and then he showed great vision and effort as a run blocker on one of Ken Walker's runs as well. Um, so it was really encouraged by that. So that, that to me is a positive just overall that I've got to take from, uh, from this game is the fact that uh, it did feel like at times that CL was getting manhandled, but I didn't see much quit. Um, I, I saw some of the veterans. I saw Gabe Jackson come by on a combo block and put a 49er. It may have even been Armstead on the ground. I saw Charles Cross with his helmet come flying off, still put Joey Bosa on the ground. I mean, I that was, you know, this is deep into the second half. And so I saw more fight from the Seahawks than I thought I might, considering the way the game had be, had started. And so when we talk, have these like, conversations about like Pete Carroll or, or the players you got to evaluate, that's exactly who I'm seeing still compete. I'm seeing some of the veterans. I'm certainly seeing the head coach still compete. And so I think that that's what we all should be doing right now. If the season does fall apart, then I think we should be evaluating for who's going to be here in 2023. And I think that some of the Seahawks, we'll have more time to talk about this later this week, but I think that is something that they're going to have to try to balance a little bit here. Are there some younger players that you can give some opportunities these last three games while you're still trying to fight for a playoff spot? There, there really is a fine line there because this is, this is not Pee Wee League. You are playing your best players. You're looking to win games, but this is year one of a rebuild that they've really exceeded expectations, even with this recent slump. And so I don't know how they're going to handle that, but guys like Tanner Muse who are going to be under – under contract next year. Cody Barton's not going to be. Is that something you look at? John Radigan, does he get some snaps on defense? Do they do some of that stuff with their defensive linemen, especially with Monet being hurt? And so I'm curious to see what they're going to do there. Is Trey Brown going to get more opportunities coming back from this illness, playing at the other cornerback spot? I mean, those are things that we're going to have to think about. And speaking of special teams, real quick, 
I, I got to give a shout out to Godwin Igubuke again because the Seahawks have not had a kick returner for several years that could provide the spark that we have seen from him now in the past two games. I mean, right out of the gate, he had an explosive kick return out to the 35-yard line. And that might not seem like much, but the Seahawks have very rarely started past the 30-yard line, whether it's been because of touchbacks or because the guys they have back there have not had to burst. DJ Dallas has had a few decent returns, but he doesn't have the explosiveness that you're looking for from a kick returner, not a guy that's going to rip one off and be gone. There's been two or three returns here for Iguibuque the last two weeks where I was sitting on the edge of my seat thinking he's got a chance to spring this thing all the way to the end zone. Didn't quite get it done, but he has brought a spark plug to the special teams unit that they have simply lacked for several years since Tyler Lockett was taken off a kick return, and he absolutely should be on the roster for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Well, that's a pretty bold statement, but I, I agree. I mean, I agree that he certainly has been a spark plug. And I think special teams in general, I, it's it's unfortunate that we kind of save them till the end and sometimes they get cut because I really thought that while there wasn't a big spectacular play on special teams in this particular game, no return for a touchdown, no block kicks, there were several that were so close. I, I, Tariq Woolen off the edge is just lightning. I mean, it's about as fast as anybody I've ever seen. And that's a lot of time of watching players. Um, and, um, you know, and, and I, I, th I thought, again, the, just the effort. I mean, Seattle, there, there was a couple of different times San Francisco was going for, you know, PATs or punts, wherever the case might be, where Seattle was so close to, to getting a block. And so we talked about that was we knew that Seattle had to give everything they had in that game to possibly be able to beat arguably uh, the best team in the NFC right now, certainly the hottest. Um, and so the fact that they were as close as they were on special teams to possibly pulling off one of those big plays that would have been, you know, basically the equivalent of the, you know, the homeless and, and digs mistakes, then I think that's basically what Seattle needed to have made that game that much more competitive. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and, of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be doing some Tell the Truth Tuesday. I'm sure we've got some hot takes coming out of that game on Thursday. And just in general, where the Seahawks are at right now with three games left to play. And we're going to take a look at the upcoming opponent on the road, the Kansas City Chiefs, taking a look at what's new for the, the Super Bowl champions from two years ago. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.